Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome, listeners. I'm here for part two of my interview with Jana Johnson, a healer and world traveler. Uh, She's in India right now. In the last session, we talked about the rumbling inside of her, I guess you could say, that led to her moving from New York to Bali, an island in Indonesia. And we're going to be talking today about what led her finally to go to India and the work that she's engaged in today. So Jana, welcome back to our podcast interview part two. Thank you. I'm happy to be here again. So you were in you were in Bali and you were on your own personal quest. And when did you start your healing work for others in Bali? Well, so I had already been doing healing work for others in New York. And so my whole thought process was I was going to grow my healing practice in Bali. And so um, when I first got there, because of my background doing event work, um, I was connected to an important person in Bali who uh, was the founder of the Bali Spirit Festival. And I, I immediately got tapped into that community and did some of that work. Um, and through that, I started to offer my healing work as well to other people once I, once I was introduced to them. And so I would say it was probably probably maybe just two or three months before I started to see people there. Um, And then through that connection, um, I was connected into a place called the Yoga Barn, which now is a very uh, quite well-known yoga center in Southeast Asia. It wasn't quite as big when I first got there. By the time I left, it was quite big and has gotten even bigger. But through that connection, um, I started doing some work for the yoga barn and eventually went on staff there and uh, worked there as a healer. So I saw literally thousands of people um, through teaching meditation classes um, throughout the week, doing different workshops and retreats, and then seeing people one-on-one every day. And who are the people who came to see you there? Oh, man. I mean, so Bali itself, this was, I had never watched Eat, Pray, Love, but this was after Eat, Pray, Love. And so when that happened, there was a huge influx of tourism, I guess, to Ubud. Um, And so I saw people, like I would say from 17 years old to 70, women, men from literally every country you can imagine. I mean, it was it was amazing. I would hold women's circles there and we would have like 25 women and there would be like 19 different countries represented in those circles. It was really, really amazing. And so they would come sometimes just for a one-off uh, session with me um, or sometimes they would come and do three or four or they'd come to some workshops or they'd come for specifically for a retreat. 
Sounds wonderful. So here you are in paradise, which is <laughs> Bali, Indonesia, which people, you know, flock to from all over the world. So what yeah. makes you decide that you want to move from there to India? Yeah. So it really was a dream job, like for me to have been asked to join the staff at a place like that um, was really amazing. And what happened for me is I was, I was working a lot. I was working a lot. And I started to, once again, have this really deep pull that just wanted me to withdraw. <laughs> um, and I started having a lot of really intense energetic experiences within my own body. Um, and I just kept wanting to pull away, pull away and to the point where I would go to work and I'd work all day in this popular place and I'd be around people all the time. And the minute I'd leave, I'd just go back to my house and just sit at my house and a lot of times just in meditation. Um, and then I was led to do these interesting purification things, fasting and dry fasting and all kinds of things that I would have wasn't ever intending to do, but it just kind of came through. And I was really in the flow of working with my intuition. And it got to a point where all I wanted to do was just to sit in meditation <laughs> and everything else was a distraction. And even though I loved my work and working with other people, like that just became a distraction for me. And so at that point, I knew that I, I needed some, and I was having these crazy energetic experiences. And so I knew I needed some help, some guidance. Um, and I ended up connecting with a woman I had met before who was a Lama in the Tibetan Zogzen tradition, and she lives in Ubud. And so I started to sit with her um, once a week. And then I was also a friend of mine or a woman at the time, a woman that I just knew um, had posted that she had gone to India and had sat with this uh, Swatantra master. And she had posted some pictures and I thought, huh, he looks interesting. And I was very, um, you know, I wasn't brought up in any kind of a guru culture and I was actually very uh, anti-guru, but for some reason I thought, I wanna talk to her about him. And so I chatted with her a little bit and I just felt like I, I, wanna, I wanna see him. And so she connected me to him over Facebook Messenger. And um, we started chatting a little bit. And for about two years prior to me leaving Bali, I would um, sit with Lama Doma once a week. And then about every four months I would fly to India and I would sit with Srinandan who I call Baba for about 10 days and I'd spend a month in India. And eventually this pull, you know, I just really uh, lost my fascination with the psychological realm and just really wanted to go into whatever was beyond that. And so in 2017, I was like, I just gotta go. I gotta go. And I didn't, I didn't plan to move to India. I just knew that I needed to get out of this workplace and I just needed to, I ended up traveling for about 10 months because now I had kind of uh, cultivated this international clientele. So they asked me to come. I spent like six weeks in Australia and I um, went through the US and you know traveled to see the clients. And then after about 10 months of traveling, I was like, well, where do I wanna be? And I always knew I would spend more time in India but it hadn't occurred to me to live in India. 
but when I was thinking of, okay, I'm, I'm ready to stop traveling, only place that I could imagine sitting was in India. So that's what led me here. And I thought I can spend more time with Baba. I thought I'd see him probably the same, maybe every two months I could go spend some time with them. Um, but I'd be closer, so I'd be able to do that. And then the rest of the time I could just be. That's really all I wanted. I just really wanted to sit by myself and, and see what was happening with me. So we've talked about place in, in our first session together. We talked about place and we talked about how uh, intuition guided you to go to Bali in the first place when you didn't even know where Bali was on a map. Yeah, yeah. So there was obviously something special about Bali, something about uh, that whole zeitgeist, that whole, the whole, everything, the, the whole ball of wax of what Bali is. Now, what about India? So what's, <laughs> what's special about India? Well, I think Bali was a prep for India. <laughs> I really think the driving on my motorbike, which I'd never done before, I had to prep all that to get me to India. Um, and also the Hindu religion prepped me for actually coming here to the ancient lands of it. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I never really had a fascination with India. I had come, I think it was in 2013, I took a vacation from Bali um, and I came to India for the first time and I sat in an ashram for two weeks. I did a yoga retreat. I left the yoga barn to do a yoga retreat at an ashram in India for two weeks. And I remember thinking, well, it's interesting, but I don't feel a super strong pull to it. But And then when I met Baba the first time in 2016, I still was like, well, I would come back to see him, but I don't feel that much of a pull to India. And then I came back three or four more times before I actually moved here. And then I started to feel like there's something here. There's something in the land. And the thing is, is it's not... I don't, it, I, I question it a lot because I'm not a real social person. So I'm not getting involved in the community. It's not the culture that I'm really, you know, I'm not immersing myself in the culture. I don't go, I've seen a lot of temples and I do, you know, I do visit them, but it's not like, that's not my thing, but there is something about the land. And I think it's the ancient land, you know, the blood that has been spilled here, the, the devotion that has energetically just lives in this land. And there's something about that that is so resonant with me. And I, it's a question that I have as well. And, you know, it's not um, and the fact that the first time I met Baba and I was sitting at his feet you know, I was looking at him going, I'm not interested in finding a guru. I don't need teachings. I just need someone to help me understand what's going on with this energy, you know? So it wasn't a fascination with the culture or anything like that. Um, but there is something, there is something for me here with this land because I still to this day could live anywhere. And I just recently moved from one city to another Indian city. And that would have been a great time for me to move someplace else, but it's not time yet to leave. 
So when you moved to Bali, you had this really ground shifting experience, I guess I would say, when you went to the water yeah. temple. And I say ground shifting in the sense that it established a different relationship with the land that we talked about in session one. When you yeah. made your way to India, was there any parallel experience or initiation for you? Well, what happened is... Um, I, when I got, when I decided, okay, I think I'm going to actually plant my feet in India for a while. I wasn't really sure where to go. And I thought, um, I'll, I'll go spend some time in Pondicherry. That's by the ocean. There's a little expat community there. It sounded good. And then when I got here, it didn't feel right. And so Baba said, well, why don't you move to Coimbatore, which I'd been to a few times. He has a little base there. And he said, and if you get a big enough house, I can come and I can stay there. And then the people that come to see me, instead of putting, they usually would put him up in a hotel and go see him at the hotel, that they could they could come see him at, at my house. And I thought, wow, that's like a dream come true. I thought I was only gonna be able to see him a few times a year, you know, but here he could actually live in my house for, you know, a period of time. And so that, that's what ended up happening. And for almost two years, he lived with me, basically, just the two of us in my house. And so that was the experience that shifted everything for me. And did it have to be in India? Yeah, I think so. I don't know why, but it, it, had, it had to be here <laughs> because I'm here. I can't really answer why, but there wasn't, there wasn't that same kind of direct connection um, with the land, but my experiences that I've had with Baba have been very, like I've had tremendous visions and tremendous energetic experiences that involved the, that involved the Hindu deities and Hindu rituals that I didn't know anything about prior to this. So I, what I'd like to do now is to explore this, this concept of the guru. And mm -hmm. I, I mean this with great respect to you as a person who I know and consider a friend. Yeah. Um, I'm going to challenge you a little bit with it, though, if that's okay with yeah. you. Yeah. I'm going to play, yeah. play devil's advocate for a moment. Um, sure. so my understanding of the relationship between a guru and a disciple is that the guru becomes the channel for this divine energy and that mm -hmm. through the relationship of trust that a, a student or devotee develops with the guru that the guru becomes this conduit for that energy and that knowledge and that deep understanding mm -hmm. now that's in an ideal world mm -hmm. i grew up here in New York at a time where we had lots of gurus coming in from India. And without naming people by name, I can tell you that I know about a lot of them who used this guru title to get things like sex, power, money, the things that we would consider to be much lower down in, in terms of human development. And it, it made me always skeptical of that yeah. relationship because if you if you go in and let's say that you are a, i'm going to call it a spiritual consumer mm -hmm. 
and you have this understanding that that's what a guru is. Now, let's say that I don't know how to discriminate between a genuine guru and somebody who is only motivated by their own desires. So it, that would lead me to a very skeptical position about that, which I still have. Yeah. So having said that, how would you respond, Jana? Yeah. So I would say, I said in the first, I think in the first session that um, I had, like, I was very anti-guru too. Anybody who held a position of authority that I could feel was using that in a manipulative way, I just immediately had an aversion to. And so, like I said, when I sat with Baba the very first time, I was like, I am not looking for a guru <laughs> sitting at your feet. I'm not looking for a guru. I don't even, you know, growing up in Western culture, the only gurus we hear about are those who, you know, have had some troubles along the way. So, that was my only exposure to them as well. Um, what I have learned in my experience, and it's a, I, Baba and I had many, 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 many talks about this because it was so, uh, it was a real conflict within me of how much am I supposed to surrender? How do I know that he's, you know, uh, uh, authentic? guru, <laughs> um, you know, like this constant questioning within me, and am I missing something out? Am I missing out on something? And then being in inside, like where I live in Krambator, it's, it's a very conservative Hindu place. Um, and so I would see the relationship he had with the local people. And I was like, is that what my relationship is supposed to be like with him? And this is, this is what I can tell you. And this is my personal experience. So there, I'm not invalidating um, what you've just said, that there's a lot of people who have used and abused that title. Um, but my experience has been that, so Baba only works one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't work with groups of people. And I think that that says something. Now, he may change that at some point. I don't know. But as long as I've known him now for four years, and I know for quite a while before that, he um, he did have a small ashram at one place at one time, but he walked away from it because it was too much. There was too much of what you were talking about, and there's too much bureaucracy and, and having to be responsible for so many things. So he only works one-on-one, -on -one, and I think that that is really important, that I had personal access to him, personal access to him um, a lot of time. And so, and he was, he's never been trying to gather devotees or to try to build an organization or try to, um, you know, he, he gave up an ashram. He, he doesn't want that situation. And I think that that says something too, because that means he's not, you know, trying to uh, draw as many people in, like that's never been his thing. Um, the other thing is he's never asked me for money. Um, I do, uh, when I first would go to see him, it's called Dakshina, which is like, it, Dakshina is like a gift from your heart to the teacher. And that could be an apple. Um, as Westerners, we look at that as money. And so um, I, I have given him money for the time that he has spent with me, but he's never asked me for anything. And as far as I know, he's never asked anyone for money. Um, and I don't think that that's a prerequisite. 
I think that's unfortunately something that uh, people say, well, if he's a real guru, he doesn't ask for money. In India, perhaps, yes. I think that there is a lot of, um, that is a little bit of a, a different topic. So, and, and my other experience with him is that there's never been a time where I felt like I had to I often questioned what he was saying and it was always brought back to me of, well, what is your experience? What is your experience? It's never of, and he would always say, this is just my experience. And I'm not saying it's gonna be your experience and I'm not gonna say it's, it's true for you. I'm just sharing what my experience has been on my journey. And there's, you know, in the path that, that we work with Swatantra, there's no renunciation. There's no uh, rules and regulations. It's, it's the, the welcoming of all. Um, and so you don't have to believe anything and there's no religion to it. You know, he, he obviously is an Indian, Indian man. He, he's Hindu by nature, but that's not part of his, the work that he does, you know, there's nothing that, um, there's no template for any of the work that he does. It's, it's all just one-on-one. -on -one. He actually doesn't really even teach that much. It's more energetic transmission. And so you always have to come back, I think, to how do I actually feel? How do I feel during this? Do I feel like he's trying to get something from me? And then it's tricky. And I think, I mean, this is a huge conversation, I think. And I know we don't have time for it today, but it's really a huge conversation because there is a level, there has to be a level of emotional maturity that you've achieved, I think, to be able to work with a guru. Because your, your mind will constantly be like, oh, he's just out to get this, or he's just wanting this. And you have to be able to recognize, is that actually true? Or is that my ego coming into place? And you have to be willing to, to look at that. And, and um, you have to be strong enough to answer that question for yourself. Does that, yeah, does that, that say that, some things for you? Yeah. Absolutely answers it. So let's go on now to talk in our last few minutes. Let's talk about yeah. the work that you do now. Yeah. Uh, so let's yeah. talk about, you know, here you are. Uh, let me sum up. Uh, <laughs> you are an American. You went onto a spiritual path. Uh, you also went into a modality that of learning and healing for yourself that was both psychological and spiritual that led to your own growth and healing. Um, you did work one-on-one -on -one with other people that at one time had more of a psychological bent to it, kind of took a turn to a more spiritual approach. And here you are living in India, in Pondicherry, mm -hmm. and you are offering people a number of things, one-on-one -on -one work that you do virtually right now, and eventually going back to uh, bringing people in, people who want to come and visit India in a safe way and explore yeah. the spirituality that is part of that, the land of that subcontinent. So would you say yeah. that's a good summary so far? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. So tell us about what you do. 
Yeah. So I do work one-on-one and, you know, I do just like one-off sessions, but then I also try to do some longer term, like I have a four month thing that I work with people where we talk maybe every other week. And in between those weeks, there's emails and messages that go through. Um, And all of my work points you back to your own path. You know, like what's actually true for you? What what are your beliefs and how do you listen to your body? How do you listen to your intuition? Where is your faith? Um, and, and questioning, you know, where your kind of, I hate to use the word blocks and limitations because I feel like that's kind of so overused in the spiritual community now, but it's, we do have a lot of um, these ingrained patterns and we really have to question them when you're when you're in a place of spiritual growth. Like if you've always had this aversion to anything that sounds religious, you know, why? Like, is there a difference between religion and spirituality? You're no longer a 15 year old girl being forced to go to church. Now you're a grown man and you get to choose, you know, which, which pieces of, um, the philosophy behind it actually makes sense. Like if you look at all of the different religions and stuff, they all have some universal truths. And so there's got to be something to it. You know, it's just all the man-made stuff put on top of it. So anyway, um, I like to work longer term with people because we can really get into some of that stuff deeply. But I also do just a one-off thing. You know, if people are really working with something, you know, during the pandemic, there was a lot of just like, oh, I don't know what to do. And so just some calming. I work a lot with the body. So I ask that you, um, I help you develop a, a daily practice where there's some movement. I work a lot with the breath, pranayama, and then some meditation. Um, and so, and of course, because we're online, there's a little bit more talking than if we were in person. And that's where my counseling background comes, comes in handy. And so um, it's whatever is needed in that moment I work with people on. And then once we can travel again, um, I invite people to come and spend a week seven to 10 days here with me where we do intensive work. And so we wake up in the morning, we have a daily practice, you know, our meals are cooked for us. And we do a session, maybe in the morning, a session in the afternoon where we work energetically, but also because it brings up so much, you know, you need to do some counseling as well, but it's really an immersion into, okay, let's really get into the deeper aspect. And because of where I am on my path, and I believe because of the environment that I'm in, we're working at a cellular level. This is the energetic transmission that happens. It's not just up in the brain in all this processing. You know, that can get you, that's necessary to a certain point, but it is, after that, you need to move further and you need to really get in to what I believe is, is cellular healing and that's energetic work. And so we'll work on that as well. And then, you know, I just recently moved to Pondicherry and it's a beautiful place where you can come and you can be in, and I think this is really important, you can be in a place that um, is foreign, very foreign. And so there's not a lot of familiar reflection. And I find that really powerful because then you're not walking into projections and assumptions from other people. You're doing all of this healing work 
And then you go out into this environment where you can then be this person that's emerging, emerging, and you're not faced with, oh, but you do this, or you're this person, you know, because you're in this new environment. And in Pondicherry, where I live, it's a very safe, and there's some familiarity, like there's some nice cafes and stuff that you can go sit at, but it's not commercialized tourism, you know? And so I actually do think it's important, the place that I'm at right now, I think is actually an important piece of this journey for people to come. And especially women who are afraid to come to India by themselves, this is a really great way for them to come to do this healing work and to get a flavor, a taste of, of this beautiful land. And Jana, you have a you have a um, website, I assume, and also yeah. I know about your newsletter. So how do yeah. our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, so my website is Jana Johnson healingworks.com. And um, you can go to my YouTube channel from there. There's an Instagram and a Facebook page. Um, and then you can email me just Jana at Jana Johnson, healingworks.com. Um, you can get onto my newsletter through the website or just by e emailing me as well. Um, and also there's one other thing that I've been doing. I started doing the pandemic is on the weekend, depending on your time zone. For me, it's Sunday mornings. I do a group meditation online and it's just this beautiful and there's people from all around the world. Sometimes it's just three of us. Sometimes there's eight of us. It's relatively small, but we really connect in from all around the world and just do a very simple guided meditation. It's not a taught class or anything. It's just a guided meditation and then a little conversation afterwards. And that's been really beautiful for people to have a touchstone um, to, to jump into. So that's on my website as well. Wonderful. So, so nice to see you again, Jana, and spend some time with you on this podcast interview. Indeed. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.